Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Tech and e-commerce podcast. I am your host, Andre Palamario, and I am the APEC Director for Elkut Global Executive Search. Our mission is to connect the tech in supply chain and e-commerce ecosystem in Asia and globally by bringing forward some of the most interesting stories about success and failure from leaders in the industry. Great to have with us today Mark Messina. He's the Chief Operating Officer responsible for Geek Plus operations in the US and business expansion across the continent. Prior to joining Geek Plus, Mark has 20 years of industry experience, including leadership roles in operations and engineering, with Mattel as Director of Robotics and Automation, iHerb as VP of Robotic Procurement Systems, and Amazon, where he was Director of Mechanical Engineering for Kiva AR AGV Platform and the Amazon Prime Air Drone Delivery Team. Mark has a passion for robotics and a deep understanding of logistics challenges faced by businesses across the region. Hi, Mark. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Andre. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Yes, uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting time. And I think what uh, Geek Plus is doing and what your team is doing is definitely the zeitgeist is definitely in, on par with what we need. But before we go into the meaty gritty, I wanted to start with uh, giving you the flow with just a short introduction, maybe you pinpoint some of the main milestones of your career, or what was most exciting for you just to, to know you better. Sure. Well, thank you. And thank you also for Alcott. I really admire what you and Radu accomplished. So it's really a pleasure to chat. You know, by way of introduction, I have 20 years in engineering and operations development. You know, I started out, I think, as a kid, as an engineer. Some people go to school to become an engineer. I've always had that mindset, a curious mind, and, and wanting to understand why things work, the math behind why things work, and all of this. And that's, that's really kind of played out very well throughout my career in terms of technology development. And I, can, I really consider myself a, a compulsive early adopter of technology. And so from that perspective, I've had a lot of interesting roles in automation, whether it's in medical device automation or testing, even you know, manufacturing automation, fulfillment center automation, et cetera, but all around large scale systems that automate relatively complex systems. My roles have been from individual contributor to architect to project and product manager to manufacturing, standing up supply chain in various regions of the world, which is another aspect of my career that I consider a milestone and something that I really enjoy is working across cultures. When I was in, you know, in engineering, I think my kids would ask me, you know, what do you do? And I would say, well, you know, I do my experiments with things. And then as I moved into management, it became, I do my experiments with people. And, <laughs> and when you work with global teams, it's really, really satisfying to leverage the various strengths of these teams and, and get the chemistries to work right. So, you know, in terms of things in my career, that's certainly something I appreciate. And then as far as accomplishments, having built some really successful teams is extremely satisfying for me. So I've I've been in positions where I've had to hire teams very, very quickly, stand up a team of, you know, 30 plus more people, get a vision, get everybody on the same page and get all this going. And, and I've been really fortunate to have some great people that I've worked with and have some great mentors as well. And the ability to mentor other people is kind of a milestone that I like is when I can, I can work with individuals and, and often I like to hire people who are smarter than me. They know something very special about their particular space and I know something about my space and we can learn from each other. So 
Yeah, that, that's a bit about me by way of work. As I mentioned, 20 years in engineering operations and operations in general. I've been with Geek Plus, my current employer, since uh, August of 2019 and have lived through the, the pandemic with growing this business in the United States. And it's very satisfying. Mm. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about the growth for sure. But it's interesting to observe, Mark, how because typically people who like engineering usually like to keep their heads focused on things, like you said. There's not a lot of engineers who also like to manage and grow teams. So that's an interesting exception that applies to you. And now just to paint a broader picture of supply chain trends, operations trends in manufacturing and warehousing, everything that you're involved in, what do you see happening in the next few months and also maybe on the mid to long term? There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, for sure. You know, COVID has certainly had a massive impact, whether it's supply chain, logistics, distribution, fulfillment, et cetera. And I think we're all, anybody in the industry, whether you're you know, a supplier or a consumer, really, it's affected your, your business or your habits. This is going to be persistent. It's driven a shift in people's behaviors in terms of shopping. And, and I'm sure that a lot of the people who have been forced to go to e-commerce as, as their primary method of shopping will rebound and, and enjoy going back to physical stores. But in many ways, the channels that support e-commerce have been deepened and widened to the point that that channel is so easy to use and so ingrained now that it really won't ever return, I think, 100% the way it was before. So, you know, in this industry with, you know, where I am with Geek Plus and what we do with being logistics automation providers with intelligent robotics, the business is really reacting to what is a customer-driven demand for instant gratification. So, you know, it used to be, I think if you think back a few years, you were okay if, if your shipment took three, four, five days. Yes. That's not acceptable anymore. You know, customers, two days is, is the most. Next day is, is okay. Same day is, is where we're headed and, and customers have a very high expectation for this. So this is really driving the whole industry to be introspective and look at their operations and, and understand, you know, is this the right time to make a shift to enabling technologies like automation and, and obviously their, their e-commerce presence? Let's go a bit deeper because I wanted to ask you what are the biggest problems Geek Plus is, is solving, but I think you already started to talk about most of them. And I think in a way, uh, instant gratification, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a problem, but definitely a strong trend. And in certain aspects, it can become a problem. But can you talk a bit more about what are these uh, specific issues and, and challenges and problems you're targeting and you're trying to make better? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, instant gratification is, it's a problem in that it's forcing businesses to react. So it's created this extremely competitive landscape where, where an e-commerce player who can deliver same day, next day, this sort of thing has the shortest time to the doorstep, whatever that may be. Most often, especially in the States, they are the de facto winner. People are willing to pay a slight premium to have their order a day, two days faster. So this, this has created a problem in the competition between all these businesses that are competing for your customer's money. And so they have now got to deal with 
unpredictable demands, unpredictable logistics solutions in terms of last mile delivery, unpredictable capacity requirements, all of this. So there's a lot of unpredictability in the, in the business. And in terms of technology, many of them are working with yesterday's what I call heavy iron. So you've got a fulfillment center or a distribution center, and you have racks that are bolted to the floor. You have you know, you're using push carts with people picking orders manually and they're walking 10 miles per day. You've got conveyor that is a single point of failure or it's not or and it's it's consuming a lot of space and energy because conveyors are running. You know, if you've got one order or 100,000 orders, that conveyor has to run. Plus, you need a lot of space dedicated to the service and egress around all of this. So you've got wide wide aisleways in your fulfillment storage area. You've got a lot of space around your equipment because it needs to be serviced and et cetera. So, you know, this is, this is the equation is, is a bit tough because you've got relatively low density or low utilization of your real estate density. You've got very low productivity with your human element. And so when you're competing against somebody who has even some level of automation, they've got an edge, they've got a lower margin, they've got a lower VCPU and they're able to compete on price. So they're winning not only on price now, they're winning on their delivery time because they're using the automation. So, you know, we bring our solutions to bear to try to solve those problems for, for, their, for our customers. And there is another interesting element here, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but the, in the warehousing space, of course, the life of a picker or somebody working on the floor is definitely not easy. And as you said, their KPIs and the quotas that they need to, to meet, it's, it's definitely tough. And I don't know if it's the most happy, joyous lifestyle or, or career. And then if you can bring something else that doesn't require, I mean, if you can bring a robot to do that, I think that's definitely a life changer mm-hmm. for those people who can do a more interesting job as well. That's, that's one element. But maybe you can uh, share more about how Geek Plus is different, right? Because you have a few interesting elements. You have the hardware, you have the, the software as well. You have different type of robots. Do share more about it, please. Sure, sure. So, you know, in solving these problems and bringing the automation to the fulfillment chain, you know, these solutions are, you know, they're fast, they're efficient, they're flexible, they're scalable, et cetera. And so, you know, our customers are competing you know, as they try to fulfill orders faster for a lower cost, they want to take advantage, obviously, of the real estate. It's very expensive. So if we can, our solutions can increase the density of the storage, and I can talk about how we do that, but we also leverage the human aspect, right? So humans who are walking 10 miles a day, like you mentioned, it's not really... It's maybe fun if you're a big fitness buff, but otherwise it's, it's hard work. It's, it's tough. And so, you know, these human, you've got human operators, they're picking maybe 40 picks per hour. They're walking a lot. So even getting labor is difficult. And then when you're staffing your operations, maybe you have to layer in 10, 20% extra because people just, they're not showing up, right? They they come in for a few days. This, this job's not for me. They don't even bother to tell you, they just don't show up. So you've got this constant attrition. And so, you know, one of the aspects that our solution solves really well is that humans are good at, at picking things, but they're not necessarily good at going and finding things. So we use the robot to go bring the inventory to the human who stands at a workstation that's really ergonomically designed. So there's a a soft pad that they can stand on. 
the, the user interface that they're operating from is, is gamified so that it keeps it somewhat entertaining and, and motivating. And, you know, it, of course, it's helping the pick rate, but also instead of walking, the inventory is coming to them and the system just tells them, oh, okay, what you want is in this bin, presents basically a wall of bins and says, okay, this bin has what you want and it puts a picture. It's very easy for the operator. So, you know, it's another advantage where customers who adopt this technology, they've got less staffing complication, plus they're getting typically three to three to six X productivity enhancement mm -hmm. from that same staff. So when you couple the real estate utilization being higher and the higher utilization of the human labor, you know, your, your CapEx and your OpEx are both reflectively lower by this, right? And then of course, you know, I, I think if you're not particularly familiar with our technology, what I'll say is that, you know, we don't have anything that's bolted to the floor. So our racks are small, they're, they're pods, they're maybe a meter by a meter by two and a half meters. They've got hundreds of cubbies on them, or, you know, we can configure them any which way, but instead of having racks that are, you know, 30 by six by 10 meters, or, or I'm sorry, 30 by six, maybe four or five meters, we have these discrete pods that the robots bring. And so in those pods, we get very high inventory density, but we also are, are very flexible so that, you know, let's say, for example, when you're in peak, you want to have as many aisleways for the robots to travel as possible, but yet still you want to have very high density. So we use those cubbies and we pack things randomly. Whereas when you're not in peak, we can bury slow moving inventory towards the furthest point from the workstation. And what we do is we apply artificial intelligence to constantly balance the management of the inventory. So we, we do heat mapping of the inventory so that inventory is stored so that we have the shortest robot routes, which means robots are highly utilized and the pick rates are very high. But in addition, we're also always looking historically and looking ahead to see the order profiles that are coming to understand you know, do we have a pod that has three items in it? So when the robot pulls up, you can do three picks, which takes you from 300 picks per hour to 600 picks per hour. You know, anything like this, we're applying artificial intelligence to it. And what we're also doing is, you know, we're constantly managing traffic. We're constantly managing route mapping, all of this. So it's a complete paradigm shift from the traditional fulfillment center where everything is bolted to the floor and the, the variable element is how you use the human. In this case, we flip the whole thing on its head. The human is, is really, we're leveraging the human operator to do picking, which is what they're fantastic at. And we're letting the robots do the things that aren't an efficient use of a human time. And you said, Mark, something quite interesting about flexibility. And I would imagine, I don't know, I'm asking, how fast could uh, a solution like yours be implemented? Of course, you need to know the scale and then, but I imagine there are some reference for how fast can you bring in a, a fleet of, of robots or change your infrastructure in such a way that everything works more on the automation part? Yeah, really good question. So we have a number of different platforms, right? So I'll just use our orders to person because it's sort of our flagship, most well-known technology. Although we have, you know, we have orders to person, goods to per orders to man, we've got follow me robots, we've got a whole suite. And if you look at our website, you'll see it. But it's again, this is something very different. When we work with our partners, the adoption of this technology is not always comfortable because it's number one, it's a completely different way of operating your 
your fulfillment center. So if you're, you know, you're an FC GM, you're used to having racks and conveyor and four trucks and all of this. And all of a sudden we show up with these, with these pods and hundreds of robots. There's no conveyor. There's, you know, there's nothing bolted to the floor. It's very strange. And then you look at, okay, so if you're standing up a distribution center, typically you've got, you know, maybe at best 12 months, but typically 18 months to 36 months to deploy a complex, you know, greenfield distribution center. Our solution, if the building is in place, you know, we're, we're three to six months, regardless of the complexity or scale of the system, right? So, so we, when we roll, when we have the PO, our production starts, we go to the site, while the robots are being produced and shipped, we're laying out, you know, the, the grid on the floor, we're putting up the safety fence, all the safety equipment, the workstations. And then, it, then we, the robots arrive, we roll them on the floor. And when the system goes live, we start inducting the goods. But at the same time, once the material starts to flow in normal operations, we usually take another, another couple of weeks, maybe between two and six weeks to then optimize the software to the fingerprint of that particular operation. So what's interesting when you talk about flexibility also is that let's say that you, your operations have outgrown the real estate. Well, in a traditional, like I said, a heavy iron distribution center or an FC, you basically have to abandon the building. You can't recover the conveyor. You can't recover a lot of the MHE. Maybe you can cover the static racking, but usually to unbolt it and put it back somewhere else, it's almost as much as buying brand new. So yeah. you basically abandon everything. With our system, you pick up the robots, you pick up the racks, you bring them to the new site where you have more space, you add more robots, you add more racks, or you add other technologies that fit other parts of your business and you've retained that asset. Yeah, that, that sounds definite. I mean, it's, it's a few X, a few uh, levels of magnitude better. Uh, Mark, about clients, because as you did mention, maybe you can share um, examples. Uh, I don't know if you can name names, but that, that would be also great. If not, no problem. But what are some specific examples of clients that have seen excellent results with, with your solution? And whatever you can share about this would be appreciated. Sure. We've got some, you know, we have, let's see, 300 sites in 20 countries with more than 10,000 robots placed in the field. So we have many, many, many customers and really from all sizes. I think one case study that I like to share is, is Nike in Japan. As you know, they're, they're the yep. world's largest shoe company and apparel and sports apparel. Nike in Japan wanted to do same day delivery and, and their operations just wouldn't support it. So, you know, they, they looked around at a variety of different technologies and they picked us as, our, as their partner. To keep a long story very short, we successfully deployed a, a, a scale system. It's really a flagship system. And Nike, as a result, realized significant operational and capital savings in this new system. But also, of course, they were able to introduce same-day delivery in Japan, right? So this is, this is something we're very proud of with, with a, really a flagship brand. And we continue to expand our our work with them. We have other partners that you would recognize. You can look obviously at the website, yeah. but there's Decathlon and HK Mall. There's many, many, many well-known partners. And I think you're, you're spreading to all industry. It's kind of agnostic in that sense. There is no focus on a specific one from apparel to retail to healthcare. I think it's, it's quite a few. Yeah. Our solutions, you know, we have this very, the, the company's been around since 
2014. And so through that time, we have very strong capabilities in software and hardware. So we, we own and operate our own factory in Nanjing, China with a very strong capacity, right? It's good. I won't name the number, but we, our capacity is tremendous and we've, our orders are outstripping that capacity. So we're building our second factory. Our software is very mature. We can operate on-premise or we can operate in the cloud, but, you know, as a result of this maturity, we now have, when you look at our hardware space, we've got picking, sorting, aisle pick, we've got shuttle systems, we've got four trucks, we've got like we have a lot of hardware verticals. And then within each one of those verticals, we've got several different payloads and capacities and sizes, depending on the form factor. So, you know, when you're, when you're adopting Geek Plus technology, you're really getting access to a broad solution set. So it's not like we're just doing one part of your operation. We can do picking, which is your orders to person. We can do sorting, which as the name implies, we're sorting to, to your doctors or, or inbound, outbound, et cetera. We have AG4, AGV fork trucks. So, and all of it's operating on the same operating system. So when you go to integrate the system with your WMS, you know, it's, it's one single interface that manages all. So it's very, very robust and very convenient. And I think you alluded to this, Mark, but saying with, with the, the next factory being open, what are, what's next for the company? What do you see as the next exciting milestones for Geek Plus? Yeah, so, so that's interesting. So I, I did mention the factory and we were, you know, our business is expanding rapidly. So we, we have, you know, we're operating, as I mentioned, in 20 countries with projects, but we have offices throughout China, throughout, uh, we have offices in Hong Kong, in the Middle East, we're operating in the States and in Europe. So we really are coming to our own as, as a global multinational company, right? And and that is is not an easy feat to to make that leap. But you know we're doing this and we're doing it very well. I'm very proud of our progress and what we accomplish. But you know on the technology side on and on the roadmap side, in the quest to become the world's largest provider of this technology, right? So we have some very auspicious goals in terms of robots deployed in one, two, five years. But to get there, technology has to back it up. So everybody talks about industry 4.0 and IoT and all of this. Well, you know, we take it very seriously and we are moving, as I mentioned, from on-prem server to everything being in the cloud, leveraging 5G connectivity, and then together adding that together with, you know, the robots are essentially an IoT device. So we're moving from the traditional implementations where it's Wi-Fi and on-prem and all of this. And the reason for this is there's a huge benefit for us and for our clients in that data that comes from cloud compute as well as the 5G connectivity so that we can be proactive. So we're moving from more of a capital heavy, heavy to an operational model where you know there's less CapEx, we're doing robots as a service, and in support of robots as a service, we need to be having live data. So we are, we've moved to the Microsoft Azure platform, which secures our customer trust, but also gives us operational data when we are operating as a RAS model, because we can see the utilization real time and say, okay, you know, we're heading towards peak customer XYZ needs to have 20% additional robots. They need to be on site on this date, right? And so they roll out the robots, their operations can expand and contract and we have pricing models that work with this so that you know we can do just a straight rental or we can do per travel we can do per piece delivered etc cetera, etc cetera. 
But also, you know, beyond that, there's the whole service heuristic. So when you have a fleet of a thousand robots on your floor, you don't want to be catching up on maintenance. The system does predictive maintenance. We're predicting when spares need to be shipped. We're predicting when a technician needs to arrive, et cetera. So this is really our steps to becoming really a world-class solution here. And I really like the, that idea of uh, robots as a service. Uh, and now that you've explained it, it really makes sense. I mean, talking about flexibility, I think that's the highest level of flexibility. You just use as, as much as you need, depending on your picks and so on. And then if you throw on top of that the maintenance and predictive maintenance, you have a very good recipe. Mark, I wanted to ask a few things about teams and about uh, recruitment, because uh, this is our bread and butter after all. And I know that this space of automation engineering, both on hardware and software, is definitely a very difficult space to find people because it's a scarce resource to find great engineers. How do you tackle the recruitment challenge when it comes to the company? You know, I think regardless of the level you're hiring at, or at least, at least for me personally, looking at the candidate, it's great to have experience, but you know, I don't always take experience as the most important thing because I've learned that clever is really important. Clever, intelligent, resourceful goes a long way. I've worked at some organizations where I was really surprised by hiring people who had almost no experience in the particular tasks that they were, they were going to own, but they were clever. They were inquisitive. They were resourceful. And when we put them into that role, they were extremely successful because they were able to apply these natural gifts to solve the problem. And sometimes it's easy to hire people that are familiar to you, right? Because they're like, they're, they're like me or, or they think like me or they have experience. And so I, you know, I, I, I think they can do it, but your business is not the same as another business. So yes, experience matters, but it has to be balanced with the concept of, of these other natural gifts and I think it's important not to hire too many people from competitors or, or who have kind of done it before because yeah. they've done it before, they're going to do it again, but they're not going to do it in an, maybe necessarily the most innovative way. They're, people tend to do what's comfortable for them. So when you take somebody who is, who is outside of the space that you're trying to solve problems and you throw them into the fire, if, they're going, if, if they can make it past say the first 90 days, usually they're going to be rock stars, right? They're going to come out and go, yeah, you know, I dug down, I, I faced the challenge and I solved it and I did it in a really interesting way. These people take ownership. They take a lot of pride. They get really jazzed about what they're doing. Whereas if you bring somebody in who's done it 10 times before, they're like, eh, all right, I've done it before. There's not a lot of passion. So it's not always, um, it, it's kind of a strange way for hiring. I'm not sure other people practice this, but it, this is what I look for and it's what works for me. And how much time do you spend on hiring at the moment, Marcus? I imagine the team is growing. You as, as part of the leadership team have to focus on this. How do you handle it? Yeah, we, we're doing a lot of recruiting. I think as a company globally, we are expanding very rapidly. So we're in, like I mentioned, in Europe, we're expanding. We're constantly hiring more people throughout the world. You know, when it comes to leadership there, we certainly do look at the higher levels with experience and with connections and, and of course, ingenuity. You know, the metrics I think that I look for and, and you know, how do I know if people are successful is, again, do you come in with passion? 
you don't have to think the way I do. We don't always have to agree. I, I believe in some of the tenets that I've learned in my past, which is, you know, disagreeing commits, be right off and these sorts of things and be vocally, you know, self-critical, you know, really kind of adopt a leader's mindset and, and leaders come at all levels, right? You, you need leaders at every level, right? It's, it's not just your executive team. All teams need leaders. So I hope that answers your question. I do yeah. spend a lot of time, I do spend a lot of time hiring and I spend a lot of time interviewing and, and it's interesting that whole interview process, when you're, when you find candidates that you, you feel are a fit, sometimes, you know, you have to go with your gut. You know, I have a gut feeling about this person and you put them in the seat and, and you go with it. And in terms of time spent, you can spend a lot of time, you know, interviewing to find the exact perfect person, but sometimes you have to take a risk. You really do. Mm. There are quite a lot of motivational quotes and management quotes flying around the internet, LinkedIn in special. And I think you can find some nuggets of truth in, in all of them. One of them was don't hire for skills, hire for attitude because you can teach skills later. I'm just wondering if in the case of engineering and both hardware and software, could this apply as well? Or what is the, the baseline that you, you need to have in mind? Because of course, you need to have all of those soft skills to be successful and to grow and to work in a team and to lead teams and so on. You have to be clever, you have to be empathic and, and so on. But I'm wondering from your position, especially an engineer, right? How much can you teach somebody on the job when it comes to hardcore engineering skills? Is, is this something true or you really need to have a good baseline when it comes to, okay, you need these hard skills first and then we will look at your soft skills? Well, you know, this is, this is a good question. At the IC level, right, the individual contributor level, you can't take somebody who hasn't programmed in Python and put them into a programming job. So, yeah. so naturally, they have to have, you know, you look for have, what institution have they come from? Have they come from a quality institution? Have they done, you know, what did they do for an internship? What did they do for projects in the early parts of their career? What have they accomplished? There's the standard questions, you know, tell me about, you know, a project you worked on. And then I do a lot of interrupting, you know, I'll let them talk and then yeah. interrupt because I'm trying to find out how do they deal with, you know, with pressure? How do they deal with ambiguity, this sort of thing? And so part of it is what can I extract from their personality during the interview process? I, I'll tell you one thing that speaks volumes when you're at the individual contributor level is, you know, do you have a portfolio? right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. If you've got a portfolio that you can share ahead of, ahead of our interview, boy, you automatically get a few points right out of the gate because I've got something I can ask you about and we save a lot of time and we can get right to the meat and potatoes of what you've done. And then if, if your portfolio is reflective of innovative work that you yourself have done and, and it's not somebody else on the team, that's going to be very obvious during the discussion because you're going to be very that candidate is going to be very able to speak about the challenges that they faced, whether it was organizational or whether it was technical. And what did they do? How did it make them feel? How, how did they solve it? Who did they rely on? Are they truly like, you know, is their personality introvert? Is, are they extrovert? You'll, you discover so much from this dialogue. And that's where at the IC level, yes, you get an idea. Okay, this, this person's a great Python programmer, but they've never done you know, natural language processing, or they've never done vision systems, but I can see how they solve problems. And I, I can't find this unicorn, 
So I'm going to take this guy. I'm going to put him in the seat. And, and I think he's going to be able to, to do it because there's a good team around him. He's, he's an extrovert. So he's going to reach out for yeah. help and he's going to gel well with the team. Right. So this is, I, I love this question because I, I, I think I really understand well what you're looking for here. And, and this is my mindset when I'm talking at the individual contributor level or, or same thing would apply with the management level, right? You want to understand how does this manager, how is he going to fit with our particular culture? How is he going to extract value in our culture? Now at Geek Plus, you know, we're an extremely dynamic company, right? Even though we're 900 people, we have more work than we can handle. So you really have to wear a lot of hats. It's a very typical startup in that, you know, we, we wear a lot of hats, but also you're dealing with so many people in so many different time zones and so many different languages that, and especially when you're dealing across cultures, you need to be sensitive in your messaging and also your comprehension of, of what somebody's messaging to you. So when I hire with Geek Plus, it's, it's really critical that people understand this up front and that we have a, an open dialogue about this. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And like you mentioned, I think you can't, I mean, of course, attitude is, is very important, but skills are also very important. And if you already know how to use a hammer and you've built something, most probably you can you can build something else with the same hammer. You just need a bit of a guidance, like you said, with Python and natural languages. So that's that's an interesting perspective to have. Mark, you also mentioned wearing a lot of hats. <laughs> And I wanted to ask you about it because like you said, operations is one, management, hiring. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of other hats that, that you have to wear, but how do you know personally that you are successful in your role? Mm, that's a great question. You're personally successful. So there's the team aspect, understanding, am I providing, you know, what is it, what the team needs up and down? So, you know, we, we, we play at a, a, all levels here are we accomplishing the goals, right? So are we, are we attracting new customers? Are we making the sale? Are our KPIs around service what they need to be? Are, are we deploying in a robust way? At the leadership level, you, know, you have to ask, are, are people satisfied with their work environment? Do we have the processes in place? And are we, are we listening where things aren't working and making changes either reactively in the worst case or, or better proactively whenever we have the luxury of doing that. This is you know, how I measure mm-hmm. you know, the success in the job. I think personal success or, or how do I know I'm successfully, you know, or how, how am I personally successful is, you know, what's my stress level? Am I managing myself well? Am I managing others well? And are we communicating in a way that, that we're building something sustainable? It's really at the end of the day, about the long-term success of the business. So are we building relationships? Are we building a reputation? And are we providing a service and a solution that's truly valuable? It's not just, are we profitable, right? You're profitable if you're providing these things, but if you're not providing these things, you you can't be profitable or at least not in the long-term. That's totally right. And uh, as a closing question mark and you've touched a lot on on this but maybe you can address it fully if you would look back and look back in your experience everything you have done so far what would be the best piece of advice for a successful career and and i'm asking this from the perspective that there are lots of people who maybe end uh, ended up with no job at the moment or they want to make a change or they're trying to figure out their first step in in their career what would you advise somebody like this mm. 
be humble, be respectful, listen, learn, find great mentors, and trust your gut. Those are some strong points, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and I think that, that part with with the mentors and I mean all of them that we we've got this this idea from from a lot of great leaders. I I, I really need to emphasize on that. Mark, a, a good mentor, uh, yeah, is, please. A good mentor is invaluable. I I've been really fortunate to have some people who have invested time in me, and they do this for for reasons of their own. But but when you find somebody who who invests their time in you and and helps you and steers you with in, in sometimes in ways in ways that you're not even really aware of, especially for early career. You look back on your career and these are the people who have the biggest impact on you. And on that note, Mark, I want to thank you very much for the time and wish you all the best. It sounds like you're on a high growth career and, and the company is doing great and I'm sure we'll hear only good things coming up for Geek Plus. Thank you so much, Andre. It's really a pleasure to chat with you and, and the folks who follow Alcock. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For all the show notes and information discussed in the episode, please follow elkatglobal.com slash podcast. Also, if you found this interesting, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher or one of the podcast platforms. We are looking forward to your feedback.